This morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Jesus sends out his apostles. Jesus sends out his apostles. Let's have a look at those verses. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. Verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide, and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. In our passage, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was in Capernaum, called his twelve disciples together and he gave them instructions before sending them out with power and authority over demons and to heal the sick and to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus called the twelve together for what would be their first assignment. Up until then, they had accompanied him in his public ministry. But now, as the Lord was nearing the end of his public ministry in Galilee, the time had come for them to start going out as his messengers and representatives. First of all this morning, we shall consider the twelve disciples and then we shall consider their assignment and their broader ministry. First of all, who were the twelve disciples? Look again at verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. A disciple simply means a learner. Not only do we see disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but disciples of others as well. For example, John the Baptist. He had disciples and his disciples presumably learnt from him. Also in John's Gospel, Jesus said to certain Jews who believed in him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. By extension, that applies equally to all of you in here who learn from Jesus and who continue in his word. You are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You who are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of his sin, of your sins rather, and continuing in his word. But your acceptance before God as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will always be in his dear Son. You are his disciples and that is a precious thing. Think about it, being a disciple of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's precious beyond anything this world can possibly give. What can this world give you? You who are a disciple of the King of Kings. You belong to Jesus. You sit at his feet. You learn from him as one of his blood-washed disciples, dear Christian. It is truly wonderful that. However, the 12 men who were referred to in Luke chapter 9 and verse 1 were not only disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, they were designated as his apostles, where apostle means one sent forth. They were learners as disciples and they were sent forth as apostles. Jesus appointed and sent forth the 12 men whom we're considering this morning. The fact that they were apostles can be clearly seen in chapter 6 and verse 13 where, where Luke says, And when it was day, he, that is Jesus, called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. These are the twelve that we're reading of this morning in chapter 9. The names of those twelve apostles are given in chapter 6. Peter was first on the list of names and he was prominent uh, in amongst the apostles in the early church. The list ends, unsurprisingly, with Judas Iscariot. We all know about Judas Iscariot. He betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ in fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy, such as Psalm 41 and verse 9, where it is written, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, have lifted up his heel against me. Those words of prophecy were spoken by David about a thousand years before Judas Iscariot betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. As well as the original twelve apostles, there were one or two others. For example, after Jesus had risen and returned to heavenly glory, after sacrificially laying down his life at the cross, the lot, the lot fell upon Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles in the place of Judas Iscariot who by that time was dead having committed suicide. Beyond that there was Paul. Paul who wrote much of the New Testament scriptures. He was appointed by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an apostle. Additionally, in Acts chapter 14 and verse 14, we see that both Paul and his missionary companion, Barnabas, are said to be apostles. The Bible teaches that the apostles were men who had seen the risen Saviour, they were appointed by him, and they were invested with power and authority to perform miraculous works, as can be seen in chapter 9 and verse 1. So, three things there. They, they all saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Saviour. They were all invested with power 
and authority. They were all directly appointed by him. Secondly, the ministry of the apostles. After the return of the incarnate Son of God to heavenly glory, it was the God-given work of the apostles to preach the kingdom of God far and wide and to establish the church, starting with the Jews in Jerusalem. For example, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter preached to the Jews who had assembled from far and wide. They had assembled in Jerusalem. And as a result of hearing the preaching of the Apostle Peter, about 3,000 of them were added to the church, having been gloriously saved. We're also told that those 3,000 souls continued steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine. What do, you, what do you imagine the Apostles' Doctrine is? We study the Apostles' Doctrine on Wednesday evenings. Much of the New Testament scriptures is written by the Apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, 2,000 years later, that divinely inspired preaching and teaching of the apostles such as uh, what the Jews who had assembled in Jerusalem heard on the day of Pentecost has been carefully preserved. It's been carefully recorded in our Bibles and it reaches the whole world and souls are still being added to the church daily and those who are being saved by the grace of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are continually continuing steadfastly in the Apostles' doctrine as the Holy Spirit teaches them from the Scriptures and as God works in them to will and to do of his good pleasure. And I trust that's you, dear Christian, studying the doctrine of the Apostles and looking to God to work his truth into your heart and into your born-again life. In and of themselves, the men who were called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be his apostles, they were regular people, regular Christians, like you, like me. In other words, they were regular sinners who had been saved by the grace of God. For example, before Paul was called to be an apostle, He was a Pharisee who persecuted the church unto death. He breathed murder against the church. He rounded Christians up and had them put in prison. He he stood there giving consent to the stoning of Stephen, a godly man who had a face that was, as it were, as the face of an angel. And and the Apostle Paul, at the time, he was a Pharisee named Saul, he stood there giving his consent to what was happening. As I say, they were nothing special, but the Lord Jesus Christ saved them by his grace and he called them to be apostles. He sent them forth. 
as apostles. Then there was Matthew. He was just a tax collector before he was called by the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the other apostles before becoming apostles and fishers of men, they were fishermen. Their calling as apostles was a very high calling indeed. So high that Revelation chapter 21, which looks ahead to the end of the world and to the new heaven and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, describes a heavenly city with 12 foundations. And in those 12 foundations are the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb of the Lord Jesus Christ. The names of the twelve written into the foundations of the new heavens, of the new earth rather. Also there's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 which speaks of the household of God being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. However, in our passage, the apostles, they were just starting out in their apostolic ministries. And according to chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, their master gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When Jesus came into Galilee, he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And now we see his apostles being sent out to do the same thing. In previous weeks, we've seen that Jesus did various miraculous works in conjunction with preaching the gospel. He did those miraculous works in order to show that he really is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Likewise, the various miraculous works that are mentioned in verses 1 and 2, namely the casting out of demons, curing people of their diseases and healing the sick, would provide evidence of the apostleship of the twelve. The miraculous works that they did would serve as their credentials and as their badge of office. However, the most important thing in that list is not so much the miraculous works, but the preaching of the kingdom of God. As the Apostle Paul said in his epistle to the church in Rome, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It was of the utmost importance to the Apostle Paul that he preach the gospel of Christ. For example, he said to the church in Corinth, Woe is unto me 
if I preach not the gospel. In those words, Paul was acknowledging that severe punishment from God would be upon him if he did not preach the gospel of Christ. He also said to the Corinthians, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Coming back to our passage, let's have a look again at verses 3 through to 5 in chapter 9. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you when ye go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. We see in verse 3 that the apostles were to take nothing extra with them and that would result in them depending entirely upon the grace of the one who sent them out, the Lord Jesus Christ, and their dependence would remain upon him to supply all their needs. And in verse 4, Jesus gave instructions to his apostles with regards how they were to respond when they were not received by the people. They were to shake the dust of their shoes as a testimony against them. You can be sure that of all the things that the apostles were being sent out to do, it would be not the curing people of their illnesses or the casting out of demons or anything like that that would incur the wrath of the people. It would be the proclamation of the kingdom of God and the calling upon them to repent and believe the gospel that would alienate them and cause people to hate and reject them. When people received them not, they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ who sent them. And you can imagine, you can just picture it, I'm sure, that when they, they wouldn't go away from people shaking the dust off their feet as a testimony against them, having just healed them of their diseases or cured their illnesses or anything like that. It's when they called on them to repent and to believe the gospel. People didn't want to hear that. Why would that be, I wonder? Could it be because people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil? And, as I say, the wrath of the people being upon the apostles, their hatred for the apostles, ultimately that pointed to a hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ who sent them. We need not be under any illusions concerning the rejection of Jesus who sent out his apostles. 
His own people, the Jews, they received him not. And ultimately, in accordance with the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, they crucified him. As for his apostles, we know that James, the brother of John, was killed with the sword. And as for John, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. Then there's Peter. When when Jesus appeared to him after his resurrection from the dead, he said to him, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest, walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. That's what Jesus said to Peter right near the end of John's Gospel. In those words, Jesus was predicting that Peter would die, that he would be martyred. Although Jesus didn't say how, tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down. Even if I've only done a half-decent job of bringing to you at least something of the high office of those 12 men who in the first instance were sent out to preach the kingdom of God in Capernaum, I trust that you will join me in rejecting any claim that anyone makes in our day and age of being an apostle. Not only does the Pope of Rome very wrongly claim to be a successor of the Apostle Peter, But even here on our little island, I know of a church leader who is described on his organisation's website as an apostle working worldwide. An apostle working worldwide. I dare say that he and indeed other self-styled apostles would make no claim to have seen the risen saviour or to have been invested with the power and the authority to perform miraculous works. I don't suppose that he would claim to have his name written in the foundations of the heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. And I presume that he does not imagine that his name is written in the foundation that the household of God is built upon. Yet still, he and others dare to call themselves apostles. Even if they insist that they are only apostles in a very minor sense and in the sense that their church has sent them forth, surely humility would demand that they avoid using the title of apostle for themselves. Having said all that, dear Christian, even though you are no longer at even though there are no longer any apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all in heavenly glory. They're all with their saviour. Except, of course, the one who is who was the son of perdition, Judas Iscariot. But there are no longer any apostles since the church is now fully established and the doctrine of the apostles is enshrined in our completed Bibles. And there is nevertheless still a work of going forth 
and proclaiming the kingdom of God. And to do that, you don't need to be an apostle. You don't need to be invested with power and authority over demons. Neither do you need to have healing powers. When you go forth, you go forth with the gospel of Christ. Now that is power. The gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. As all of you who have been delivered out of darkness and transferred by God into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you know only too well for yourself the power of the gospel, the power of God to save to the uttermost. Therefore, pray for opportunities to proclaim the sinlessly perfect life, the sacrificial death and the triumphal resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last of all, undoubtedly, the greatest of all the apostles of all. Who do you think that is? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was sent forth into the world by his Father. As it is written about Jesus in the prophecy of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That is upon Jesus. Because the Lord have anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he have sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. We see in those words that God sent forth his Son to heal the brokenhearted. In other words, those, not people who are broken over because they've had a, a broken love affair or something like that, brokenhearted because they have broken and contrite hearts. And that is because they have sinned against the holy and righteous God. And they mourn. They mourn their sin. Their sinful condition before God. Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives, which means that Jesus came to forgive people who were held fast bound in sin and slaves of the devil who is the prince of this world. Therefore I say unto you, repent and believe the gospel. Amen.